Must be like the wolf pack, not like the six pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello everyone, wherever you are, and welcome to the next episode of There's No I in Podcast, our podcast about teams, being in teams, leading teams, and getting the most out of your teams. I'm Mark Johnson, I'm a performance teacher and a performance maker, and I am joined by my colleague Sean Gallagher, who is a sports coach. Hello Sean. Hey Mark, how, how are I'm, you? I'm good, how are you this week? I'm good, I'm good. I feel, I feel like I've got a little bit of a energy a little bit of juice as we like to say yeah what's been keeping you busy um so trying to read trying to keep keep on reading keep getting those books in keep getting that knowledge into my (laughs) tiny brain um and uh kind of and kind of uh linking that with some running as well um to have some you've got you've got a little charity campaign going on at the moment haven't you yeah, so we there was obviously a big national uh, charity initiative, the Two Point Six Challenge. Um, they're using the numbers uh, two and six uh, because that would have been the length of a marathon. Yeah, the length of a marathon. I'm not sure if that's true though, but the length of a marathon, and obviously with the marathon not taking place this year, um, or sorry, being pushed pushed to October, a lot of charities have have missed out on on donations that people would have thought of fundraising. I was going to say you were signed up to run and and yeah for Teenage Cancer Trust. Yeah, yeah. you were looking to raise a couple of grand for them, and if there's if there's yeah exactly you know, close to what's that what's how many people run it tens of thousands. I believe so. Yeah, it's I, I really don't know how many in total, but I mean, it, it's it's a lot of people um, that are raising money for charities, you know. And so for that not to happen, um, someone I think I don't know if it was the London Marathon, whether they set it up or whether it came from somewhere else. I think it was the London Marathon, but they came up with 2.6 or 26. And you just have to do anything kind of length, duration, repetition of uh of 2.6 or 26 so you know 2.6 mile run um you know uh, uh, hula hooping for 26 minutes except that's a lot of hula hooping etc etc so et if we if we stop uh the podcast in three podcasts time uh, just over halfway through and put out 2.6 podcasts that would be that would be perfect and then we just get some donations <laughs> it will also cover uh cover the fact that uh this week uh is one of the first weeks when i really tanked on the technical front so we've got uh we've got a section of the podcast where i was frantically running around trying to keep a recording going gratefully we had backups but uh this could have been the one where you got your point six of a podcast no exactly i know but but you've got plan b c d and e mark you know so you're uh you're always ready to fix fix something that needs to be fixed it's a team effort (laughs) (laughs) um so last week was fun harry was uh harry was a great chat yeah i think i think harry's probably been the first guest where we've had a topic that we have wanted to discuss but it has kind of delved deeper into certain areas Mm. and kind of zigzagged around maybe a topic um with the fact that he has an interesting job and has had an interesting kind of journey to that job, yeah. but then also has this this kind of passion and interest for the work 
the work of um, Ray Dalio and was able to kind of go between both. So I think um, maybe that's something we'll look to do with other guests if they have another interest that is also related to teams as well as kind of them working in teams themselves and and uh, and uh, what that what they bring to the yeah. table in that's that sense. Slightly on that note, I watched um, as a as part of it. I watched the Google talk that Ray Dalio did, and in my head, I had this picture of quite a um, corpo suited, sharp kind of master of the universe man. Oh, definitely, and definitely. he is not. He's like he's like an uncle. He's wearing his fleeces. He's got his life sorted as far as how he how he runs, uh, how he works out what's game. important to him. <laughs> yeah. His fleece game no, is on fleece. Yeah, I mean, anyone listening to the podcast, please make sure your fleece game is on point because that is uh, we don't ask for many things off our get off our guests or our listeners. But please make sure your fleece game is on point. Um, No, I think there was um, I think in the book, he does kind of describe a lot of kind of media outlets and uh, kind of people within the industry linking him and making comparisons to kind of Steve Jobs. Yeah, just because in his approach, like you said, he's not like that wolf of Wall Street, that kind of shark approach at all. I think he med. I think he's big into meditation as transcendental meditation years. since the late sixties. Exactly. Uh, his, you know, he's constantly referring to uh, relationships within the workplace as with the same kind of importance as performance. So he's he's about he's about this group working it's it was so interesting for me because i did have this kind of gordon gecko uh jordan belfort kind of vibe no exactly and that's why i think that's why when uh harry kind of mentioned ray dalio and i done just i just done the briefest uh, amount of research before kind of getting him on and talking about him i thought that you would also kind of be engaged by by the story and by him opposed to, as I said, just that shock that maybe isn't going to be your cup of tea as much, you know, in terms of what you do and, and where your values sit and stuff like that. So this guy does kind of bridge the gap. We talked in the in the chat about this, this angle of radical kindness that I thought you needed to be explicit about to go alongside it. And it was it was really pleasing to see that he does seem like he's got that embedded in what he was doing, that it wasn't uh radical truthfulness at whatever cost well no exactly i mean i i had ray dalio in my ears um this morning mark <laughs> so to speak on on my run as i continue to work my way through the book on on my audible um so he was with me for a good good hour and 40 minutes uh, <laughs> which was which was nice to have his company um and it again it's you know, he does talk about the fact that, yes, we have to be very competitive and, and yes, you know, we need to make money and stuff like that. But We've there's always... Targets and goals and whatever. Yeah, yeah, but there's always that caveat that, you know, you need to balance that with the life that you lead and whether that brings you happiness or not. He's very much about do what makes you happy. So if you don't want to go and run a big, huge company and be a CEO, don't do that. <laughs> like Go and find something that makes you happy, yeah. um, which I think is really important. And, and I think quite rare 
for someone in his position of power. Yeah, I was yeah, I was also quite surprised that a lot of this kind of the writing and the the talks have come at what he describes as a kind of a later point in his life, the point in his life where he's he's not grafting to gain the power and the money. He's there he's there he said to kind of put out stuff that will help other people. And that's an interesting perspective for the fifth most influential company in America, according to Forbes or whatever. No, definitely, definitely. But no, and, and you know, Harry's, Harry's a bright young guy. Um, and so it was really great to talk to him about it and, and get his perspective. And as I said, I'm sure there's scope to get Harry on again, if he so wishes, um, and look at maybe some other areas of interest. Yeah, we teased last week that we had an exciting one uh, for this week's podcast. We did. And uh, we do not disappoint. Uh, we're talking to Lizzie Boyce today. Lizzie uh, is the one of the directors of Rogue Symphony, which is uh, a really great uh, orchestra that live perform uh, hip-hop albums and electronica albums. And we're about to get into it with her about um, what it takes to uh, run a, uh, an orchestra of musicians who are all of them uh, at the top of their game, absolute professional level musicians, um, a lot of a lot of really skilled people in the room, a lot of really high expectations of each other, touring. So you're in close quarters. That we get we get into loads of it, and it's a it's a real departure from what we've spoken about so far. Uh, yes, and. Um... Really pleased that Lizzie uh, kind of was happy to come on and talk to us about it. Um, it's uh, I'm not sure she's spoken too often about this kind of topic, um, you know, and I think it was quite interesting for her to kind of internally kind of think about these yeah. things. And uh, she has said that she has been doing that, you know, as she continues to kind of improve how she does uh, kind of manage and, 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 and run the the group because um, there's a lot of them isn't there Mark? there's yeah. about there can be up to about 15 20 20 yeah. of them in the group uh, so stay tuned for that and also at the end of the episode uh, keep listening because we will chuck on uh, a very cool example of their work a recording that they put together individually in lockdown of a medley of tunes that they perform live. So stick around at the end of the podcast for that because it is outstanding. But uh, with no more hesitation, let's jump into our chat with Lizzie Boys. Teamwork. Teamwork. Yes. So we are massively privileged to have joining us today um, the director of an orchestra called Rogue Symphony. They're an orchestra like no other. Her name's Lizzie voice uh hello lizzie how are you doing hi hey lizzie hi guys i gave you a terrible intro there so um for the <laughs> sake of people who are actually fully interested in your journey i said you're a director of an orchestra called rogue symphony um probably many things as well how about you tell us a little more about yourself okay thank you guys um yes yeah, so i am a professional musician i play the viola um i work and live in london where i grew up i started playing with the violin when I was five years old um, and did mainly classical music and I studied at the Royal College of Music. Um, but for my career, I've ended up doing so many different things as we have to do, especially as a freelance musician. Um, so I do things like play musical theatre, play in orchestras, 
sometimes um, play in films, um, play with pop stars occasionally, do all sorts of things. Then also do non-glamorous things like primary school teaching, um, playing in weddings, all sorts of things. Yeah. I get to kind of travel lots and meet lots of different people all the time and kind of play in weird gigs and functions and weird places that you don't expect you're going to end up in. I think that is, that's the life of the freelancer, isn't it? You're just going to take, take the gig that presents itself and see where it takes you. Exactly. <laughs> Lizzie, what, what about the Adidas one? Oh, yeah. Because that one was really, looked really cool. Can you tell us a bit more about that one? Sports sports coach coming in there with the Adidas. <laughs> yeah, come through Adidas, yeah. So that was a cool gig that we got through Rogue Symphony. We got approached by like a sort of event management company who were putting on a big event for Adidas and they wanted an orchestra to perform hip-hop, which is quite um, perfectly what we do. So um, we did a five-minute hip-hop medley and they kitted us out in all the gear all the Adidas, like a vintage yeah. track suits and trainers. Looking like a run got DMC music video. Mark, the photos are amazing. <laughs> it was really cool. Amazing. And that is the other life of the freelancer. That's the other, that's the other bit is the, the taking the little extras uh, yeah. as, as payment for all of the extra time you put in. Yeah. Every now and then you get a cool, a cool gig. You got to milk it. Yeah. And, and Rogue Symphony, you said that you're an orchestra that uh, do hip hop. How does that work? So I've, I've seen, I've been to the Royal Albert Hall. I've seen orchestras. There's, there's no drum machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're not like a typical orchestra that you'd imagine. I obviously had a classical background, um, but what we do is we kind of do orchestral renditions of albums, mm. of artists, current artists. We do Beyonce, we do Daft Punk, we do Kanye. Um, and we do an orchestral rendition of it. So we're, we're a band with a big string section, with a big horn section. Yeah. And we, we don't usually play in concert halls, we play in nightclubs, we play in music venues, we play in, in clubs, mm. that kind of thing. So people find that really interesting to see a classical, the classical kind of heritage of an orchestra put to hip hop, put to whatever we yeah. do lots of different genres of music we do a house yeah. show we do disco basically it's quite hard to define what we do it's kind of a big merge of things um, of styles especially as a lot of the musicians in our band have really different musical educations so i'm yeah. have a classical background um but we have hip-hop artists coming in working with us so we did a recording with slow tie a couple of years ago um yeah. our rappers wow. that we work with record their own stuff a lot of yeah. our musicians come from a jazz background, which is obviously yeah. very different from the classical um, school that some of us come from. How did you get s slow tied to sit down for, for two minutes? <laughs> that was a fun question. Bounce around. <laughs> it was crazy, actually. So we re re recorded an orchestral, full orchestra thing of one of his songs. And, um, and then after a few takes, he just kind of wanted to jam with us. So he was just like, wow. yeah, drama, give me a groove. Yeah, 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 you, bass, yeah. <laughs> and then he started rapping and we all started playing and it was very bizarre. <laughs> wow. Organic, organic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you've hit on one of the things that I was going to ask about because I've, uh, I've seen one of your shows and I've seen a bunch of your videos online and you do have, uh, for an orchestra, a non-traditional lineup. You've got electric bass guitar you've got a kit drummer and a synth players and all sorts of keys going on you've come from different backgrounds how did you all find yourselves together how did how did it come together as a as a group um it started about three years ago actually xoio the nightclub where i think you came was where yeah. where yeah. it all started we got asked to put together an orchestral rendition of daft punk 
And um, they'd done a few shows before like that, but it kind of really took off from that Daft Punk show. We did a 10-piece string section, a rhythm yeah. section. Um, yeah, so it's not a traditional lineup. We have strings, we have brass, but we also have kit, guitar, bass, um, rappers. keys. We have rappers. <laughs> yeah, so we're like a, a band and an orchestra. And depending on um, what shows we're doing, different instruments, sometimes we have, you know, a harp. <laughs> yeah. How, how, many people, how many people are in the orchestra total? Like, I know that the lineup probably changes for gigs because people are in and people are out. How many people do you have involved kind of usually? So our usual setup is about 15 people, 13 um, sometimes. Depend, it depends on the show. It's fun to cram on a nightclub stage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have to, sometimes I have to think, oh, we're not all going to sit on this stage. <laughs> I would love to have a huge orchestra, obviously. Sometimes we get to do really cool um, festivals and play at bit, like, much larger venues like O2s, you know, the, yeah. the academies that have big Amazing. stages. And that's great because I can have, you know, more than 10 strings. For the Adidas gig, they wanted a 20-piece orchestra. And they didn't want any vocalists, so it was instrumental only. Yeah. It was really cool. So to do hip-hop with no vocals, just an orchestral version of it was really exciting. Lizzie, uh, just to go back one step, um, when XOYO approached you um, for for this hip-hop kind of infusion with the orchestra, I mean, what was your sort of first reaction or your gut reaction? Because was it in your head that, this could work as a thing and did you immediately light up and go wow this is amazing or did you have to kind of sit back and go hang on a second will this work will this not work how how did how did that process happen um i think it was um just a bit of confusion how it was going to be at the beginning Mm, yeah um i funnily enough i wasn't actually i did i wasn't the director right at the beginning so I was right. asked to just come in and play in it, and it was a nameless okay. orchestra. It was it was only oh, wow. that me, yeah. me and the musical director Dan decided after about half a year of doing these shows that were really popular. We didn't have a name; we were just a group that ex, that wow. performed XOIO. We thought this has got legs. This is an awesome concept. We should, yeah, yeah. and we came up with a name, Rogue Symphony. Um, yeah, didn't think it was going to be. I mean, you don't think it's going to take off, but it's been. No, it's, I, nice. I agree. It's such a good sound. The first of my silly questions, <laughs> because I have an answer for it already in my head. Um, you talked about the musicians themselves coming from different styles, from different backgrounds. We talk a lot when we're talking with people about collaboration, about having shared vocabulary and having shared language. Was there anything you had to build or did you find that people were able to kind of operate in this new field in this hip-hop orchestra electro orchestra was the language already there or did did you have to kind of come up with a way of communicating and working or was that you're all musicians enough i think there was definitely and there might be still definitely an element of bringing different worlds together and we have we do things in different ways sometimes um, different kind of ways of working or different vocabularies, as you said, between classical and jazz mm. and pop people. And so that's kind of learning for everyone, which I've really loved personally. I've learned things I don't know because I, before I was so straight classical music um, that you learn so much from other people's um, just way of playing music and way of learning music and thinking about music. 
Um, and also it's great for us to have all those kind of viewpoints coming together. Yeah. Um, also just thing, things like some of us are playing from music, some of us improvising, some of us, you know, every, the whole performance is different each, each concert, each gig. So the one, the college dropout that you came to would have been different each one, each time yeah. you did it. Yeah. Which is really exciting. And, um, different to classical music, I would say. And was that uh, was that an adjustment for? I'll say you because you talked about coming from a particularly traditional classical background. Was that an adjustment for you, or is it something that you were like jumped on? I think it did take a bit of adjustment, um, a bit of getting used to, but it's something so uh, makes you feel so alive when you're on stage and and you don't know exactly where something's going to go or something how something's going to end or someone. Sort of improvises this bit. My my question is: Did you listen to Kanye West before this all came fair, together, Lizzie? Fair. <laughs> That's a good question. I did, but I didn't know it in this depth. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah. I wouldn't say I was a big, huge Kanye fan until. And now, do you agree that he's a genius? <laughs> yes. Okay, good. <laughs> there was a hesitation. There was a hesitation. <laughs> I do love his music. The Kanye shows are some of my favourite shows, and orchestrally they work so well. Do you, who who arranges? So the MD Dan, who we started, we run the orchestra together. Um, he does all the orchestral arrangements. Nice. And I was going to say the flip side of that, Lizzie. Then have you bought kind of have you introduced maybe some of the more hip hop? Uh, kind of artists and jazz artists to to kind of your style your more classical style and have people come on board that you maybe didn't think would do at the beginning yeah definitely um as well as obviously playing in our band we play together regularly but outside this everyone has their own projects and their own concerts and their own gigs and what I love is that we all go to each other's concerts and always listening to each other's you know when someone releases an album or someone you know, especially in lockdown, I find myself every day listening to someone's new track they've released. Or yeah. my friend, one exactly. of the, our cellist, um, his quartet did an, a live album launch listen along thing the other day, which was really cool. Wow. Um, so yeah, everyone's always introducing each other to their different styles of music, um, which is great and opens everyone's eyes. And do you guys tour? Yeah. So do you travel together and find yourselves living together for any of it? Yes, we do. We spend a lot of time together. How is that? <laughs> Well, um, it's great and also has challenges <laughs> as well. Um, we, so at XOIA, we have like this little residency there. So we're there maybe every couple of weeks, sometimes yeah. once a week. But also we travel around the country mainly. Um, and so we spend a lot of times on trains and tour buses and in hotels, um, which is kind of this whole podcast talking about teamwork. And one of the things as musicians, which is very complex and interesting, is that we're working with often our best friends or strangers. We kind of work with a different group of people every day. And with, especially as a freelance musician, you might turn up to a session with a load of people you don't know and you have to sit down and record something for an advert. And you have to kind of learn, you have to just deliver and learn how to play with these people. You might not have played in this, yeah. gr- in this combination, but with Rogue Symphony, we're, we're all like best friends. You, you yeah. know, expect in a band you get, so yeah. that's something I find super interesting and because most of the work that I do, and I, I think it's probably the same for Sean, we spend a great deal of time building a dynamic, you know, creating an environment that allows for collaboration, encourages it, fosters it and gives it time to grow. When you, There are a few things as collaborative as 
ensemble musicianship, when you have to switch it on immediately, what is how how do you do that? Like, how do you turn yourself from a person who's shown up with your viola case and uh, the address on a bit of paper to sitting down, being in sync, in time with a bunch of strangers? She's got it on her phone now, Mark. We've moved on. It's 2020. It's not a piece of paper. Uh, yeah. it's, in, it's, in, it's in her notes. It's in her notes. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a skill you learn, I guess. It's about this combination of being so prepared that you, you, and it's about being reliable. You walk in, you've prepared everything, you have to deliver. Playing with yeah. in a band with all your friends is a different kind of thing. You have to leave everything behind that's going on in your friendship and your personal lives and your relationships and everything. And um, it can be difficult having getting that balance right between being professional and being having a working relationship when yeah. everyone in your team are your best friends and you hang out outside of work all the time. Yeah. Especially in the music world, which is so, the industry is so insular. Yeah. yeah. Um, that can be um, a tricky balance to get. So, so is there any things that you do specifically then as a, as the director um, kind of internally that allow you to, to, to manage that, that? So is there, is, to manage that that's yeah. something i find quite yeah it's something i thought about quite a lot how to manage your friends um it is important because one one would kind of hope or at least expect that if you're working with someone for any length of time you are going to develop a, a more than professional relationship a, per, a personal connection to to someone or at least some feelings that aren't just about the work it probably makes a team better but if you're in charge of making sure that one functions without the other there's some navigating to do i can imagine yes especially as in the music industry it's it's much less defined there isn't um it's much more kind of fluid and relaxed environment in some Mm. in some situations i mean not always i'm talking about Broke Symphony coming together in rehearsal um, and yeah. just us, a group of friends, basically, who are also all incredible musicians and trying to rehearse something. Um, so how often do you spend re- in the rehearsal studio as opposed to in, in the rehearsal space as opposed to gigging with Rogue Symphony? How much, how much time do you spend preparing for the gigs? We usually... So we do all our shows, like, for example, College of Art, we do them quite often so every few weeks or so or maybe once a month so we know them kind of inside out so we would rehearse spend a few kind of full days learning rehearsing in separate sections often because you think about string sections brass you have a rhythm section rehearsal um add the vocals after a day of that or something and have like full band kind of build it up section by section so we'd have two to three days of that i think and then if it's a show that we do really regularly, like our Beyonce show, our Daft Punk show, we kind of just, we know it inside out, but um, we kind of try to um, keep it fresh by adding new songs, by changing yeah. set order around. So um, every now and then, every few months, we'd have another kind of refresher rehearsal or a long sound check, go over a few things, especially as there might be a new person or some kind of, yeah. you know, I'd, no, I'm interested in, in how you introduce a new 
particularly when there is a, a social element to the group, how you introduce a new player to that. Is that something you've had to do along the way, bringing in new instrumentalists into an already existing dynamic? We're not so much. Process. <laughs> we're not so much of a small um, one setup. We're kind of like a large family. I think because we do so many different shows. I think we've done thirty or something now, different mm. kind of lineups, different shows that we have grown into this huge family of like quite a lot of. Um, people so i but we do obviously we kind of rotate not rotate we have like our yeah. a team but we have, then we have like a wider so kind you have of doubles team. doubles for people. most instruments so that uh you can swap people in and out if people aren't available that kind of thing yeah yeah and also things you know things go wrong people get sick especially in live music that's another thing that i was yeah. thinking about the amount of kind of trust you have to have this is kind of off topic but the amount of trust you have for each other on stage when you're doing something live. Yeah. Things I think trust wrong. is, yeah, trust is 100% relevant and, and not off topic, Lizzie. Like when we look at ownership and trust, one, one million percent is, is all to do with teamwork. It's a massive part of it, I think. It's something... Yeah. Sorry, go on. No, no you, you continue. <laughs> no, you're the guest. You, have to, <laughs> you go yeah, first. So you go first. <laughs> They've heard enough of me. <laughs> um... Yeah, I was just thinking about trust and that kind of, we get comfortable on stage because we're used to it, but it is cr quite terrifying when you think of it, especially if you're playing to a huge crowd. Um, you kind of trust that whoever's playing before you is going to play the right thing or, you know, that everyone's going to turn up. Otherwise, yeah, that kind of thing. Everyone is in it together in that sense, no matter who's leading or who's whatever. If one, no, I, I... Everyone has to be there for it. I think, yeah, 100%. I think Mark said this uh, numerous times to me anyway in our 163 office chats, but the whole, and it works the same for sport and I'm sure in music as well, but that whole concept of just turning up is such a massive part of yeah. anything that we can do. Like if you're in the room, yeah. they're almost there, you yes, know, then exactly. the 20% you can add on top. So I'm sure that you would, you would advocate for that. Absolutely. Nothing so frustrating as being in rehearsal when someone's stuck on a train or something like that. Um, obviously, can't be helped sometimes. I think looking at it from, obviously, we both work in a school, myself and Mark as well. And it's kind of that conversation with students as to showing up as well, you know, whether, you know, whether it is just making sure you're at training all the time for football or whether you're in that rehearsal for drama. Um, sometimes they don't see the importance of simply turning up. You may not be able to give 100% that day, but you're there, you're in the room. Um, and it's such Absolutely. an important life lesson, I think. Because it just it adds a whole sense of everyone pulling their own weight and everyone bringing it together if one person isn't there. or it, The whole team energy is altered. When everyone, I find it exhilarating when we, ha we do a great gig and everyone's together and everyone has contributed. That, that feeling's incredible. 100%. You know, if I, if I get a full training session with all the boys, even if I don't put on the best session myself, the fact that all the boys are there and we've got 14 to 16, uh, you know, young, young people all running around, getting a sweat on and uh, competing against each other makes a massive difference. Yeah. Such a big difference, you know. I think Mark may have touched on it, but just... Just going back to kind of when you all do come together, is there kind of any sort of team principles or just a few bits of code of conduct that you guys kind of all know? It doesn't have to be said. There are just a few kind of rules within that family, as you've as you've kind of said, 
that people know where where the mark is, where the line is, where to draw it, and kind of how to speak to each other, communication, all of the, all of those kind of things. Is it discussed or is it just not had to be? Yeah, there's definitely a kind of code of work that musicians develop or maybe train. Definitely was it um, at music college when I was there. Very strict, especially in classical music. Especially things like rehearsals, that kind of technique of how to, what to do in rehearsals, kind of etiquette. There's definitely that. Um, basic things like not all playing at once, listening when, when the person leading rehearsal was speaking or um, that kind of thing. Yeah. We're working on that on the podcast. <laughs> I always think that um, very excellent musicians have... There's a lot of... Um, stereotypes of big egos and things like that especially with big stars and people who think they're going to be big stars and people who are very respectful and listen to each other such good skills that the best musicians will have they won't be divas but we always come across the divas (laughs) yeah it's interesting that it's something we used to say to the kids when i taught at drama schools uh that you could be the best actor in the world but you'll get hired for being good in the room way more than you will for the for the Absolutely. your monologue skills. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, we so that's part of us who we want to play with, you know, people who have similar kind of um ethos as us and working we work well together and get on with and also really professional, yeah. you know, we don't want to how do you find, but how do you I mean because that's such an important part of it Lizzie and I think that in terms of the podcast we're trying to dig deeper and delve into what that actually looks like because sometimes it can just be a feeling that we have when someone walks in the room and they're new and we just go you know what this person is on the bus they're on our bus and and they're they're, they're going along with us for the journey but like what is kind of going through your mind I know you said about professionalism and, and things like that but you know, are there discussions that take place with uh, amongst the group to say, is this is this a good one? And, um, you know, what could you look for? Because I think people want to be better within a group. So those listening to the podcast can maybe, you know, look through that little checklist almost. <laughs> yeah. How they can be a good team member, I guess. Um, I don't really have a strict kind of checklist of things, but we obviously want to work with people who are reliable, who are great musicians obviously you have to practice and be fantastic um who have the same kind of enthusiasm for it you know we want everyone in rogue symphony to love it and to want to give up their time and their and to kind of push it forwards to give their enthusiasm to it Um, and i think that counts that counts even even on a paid gig even when it's not we're going to ask you to give up your time for free because it's your passion even on a paid gig you need that sense of i want to be in the room for the thing that i'm in the room for not yes just because i was yeah because i was the oboist who answered the money not (laughs) yeah this is i have no idea (laughs) who the oboist for a reference so i'm not casting (laughs) any shade what an an instrument uh what an instrument we did actually have an over but um (laughs) Mark's available. Mark's available. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. I would hate to think people were just were just mm. there because we're paying them to be there. Um, but that's one thing I love about Rogue Symphony is everyone does genuinely seem to love being there, especially when 
it's, it's something about XOIO, the, the energy and the atmosphere in yeah. that room, maybe because it's so small. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like 500 people crammed in just to come see you. And the shows are so exhilarating that there's definitely a sense of the musicians love playing with us and love doing our shows. And it's not just for work. I mean, it is obviously work for all professional musicians, but, yeah. but they would want to do it. You know, we'd like to think <laughs> anyway. When you when you say okay, we're all professional musicians, and you know we want great musicians, but is from a practical point of view, are, are you auditioning those people if there is someone new that comes in, or have you just seen their work before, or kind of you know friend of a friend, and they know that they're kind of solid, or do you literally make them sit in a room and play? <laughs> no, we don't do auditions. Um, we all work so much outside in our own different fields that we play with so many different. I play with so many different string players. You kind of know yeah. lots of people on the circuit. Yeah, um, yeah. So how people get introduced, how people come in, people will say, oh, I play with so-and-so, maybe they're fantastic. Oh, I've been, to, I've seen them in a gig or something. You know, often I go to a gig and see people who I know, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. Okay. It's a big sort of extended family, yeah. big network. <laughs> this, yeah. is a, this is a, a curiosity. So it might not be one that you can answer it might not be one that you want to answer so feel free not to how do you as because we talk about we talk about that code of conduct quite a lot we talk about the big book of rules we also talk about hierarchies and kind of teams within teams and when you are someone with the title of director or for uh, the musical director having that as well there is a responsibility for maintenance of the team, but also kind of keeping up to its level. Like someone has to say that wasn't good enough or that didn't meet the standard. How do you, because you are dealing with, rather than Sean and I who deal with 17 year olds, and it's really easy to kind of pull rank. When, yeah. how do you guys manage those kind of, we need to push this bit up or we need to correct that bit of attitude or I'm not going to say that bit of playing because I assume you kind of yeah. take into account that people are going to play as well mm -hmm. as they want to. And sometimes that doesn't go as yeah. good, but when there is, when there is something that needs correcting, mm -hmm. how do you manage that within a group of, of absolute bloody experts? <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, <laughs> It is hard, um, especially when, as I said, they're all really good friends yeah. of ours. Um, yeah. How to say you need to concentrate more on this or this isn't good enough for you to rehearse again. It can be a balancing act, especially with players of such high calibre. Yeah. How to say we need to do this again. Um, yeah. um, it's a question, I guess, of working it out. Where's the kind of line? Where, how much kind of I want to be, how draconian I want to be and not want to be because obviously they're my friends, but also I want to get shit done. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, Has that developed over time, Lizzie? Has yeah, that definitely. Developed over time? Yeah. And also growing confidence in what you're doing. I feel, exactly. You know, um, yeah, just working out your leadership skills, honing them. Um, it's definitely something that I've been kind of developing. So under the current situation that the, the world is facing, an orchestra is quite a difficult thing to have in the same place and time. Uh, 
are you doing things to specifically keep you guys together or to kind of keep up that level that you're at? Um, yeah, there's definitely a kind of anxiety at the moment in the what the music industry and perform performing arts is going to look like in the future when all this happened. It's obviously the last thing that's going to come back is the big stadium yeah. concerts and things. Um, we have been doing things at home, recording. We recorded a medley. Um, I think what's I've been what's been amazing is the amount of talent and things that have come now that we watch over the internet and we can see people recording at home they have the time to do it we have the time to watch it mm. i've yeah definitely um yeah so we did a recording from home it was actually the same medley that we did at the hip-hop gig for yeah. adidas so it's an instrumental only orchestral version of of hip-hop tunes um we picked them basically from our hip-hop show we picked the best, like yeah. favorite ones we do. And we put them all together. Our MD, Dan, um, put them all, arranged them all into a medley. Wow. Um, and we all recorded it from home. So it was really fun. Um, obviously, yeah, we did that. Everyone just, I guess everyone misses the show. So wanted yeah. to recreate it in homes. <laughs> but I think it says a lot about the team as well, though, um, Lizzie, and the fact yeah. that, you know, everyone is going to be dealing with, this period of lockdown in different ways and everyone isn't on 100% right now everyone isn't just sort of bouncing around their houses full of joy so yeah. when they're being asked to do things you know sometimes even if they might want to it you know it's just difficult people's mindsets are difficult uh, different at the moment so the fact that you had so many people just be kind of like yes and jump on it and for it to all to come together shows a lot I think about the team when you're Absolutely. not actually with each other I think that's what people really craving we we're so used to being together and performing our music and I think that's what gives a lot of musicians and performers kind of their life is yeah. performing yeah. to others and, performing and I think it's other. worth saying um, that that goes beyond just oh we've all got time now because I think a lot of people don't yeah. have time now but they're doing it anyway because that collaboration yeah. is craved in a you know they're making time to to be in spaces with people because of how important it is to them. Yeah. Uh, uh, Sean and I talk a lot about, uh, we repeat this phrase, coaches make coaches, uh, that we, the way that we coach, teach, uh, lead, create teams is a kind of a product of some of the people that we have been coached by or taught by or have been in teams with. Um, so the question we throw out is, are there any people, and if there are, the the kind of practices that they that have informed how you organise or manage your group, be that band leaders, music teachers, MDs, whoever? Um, oh, that's a difficult <laughs> question. The tough um, ones at the end. Yeah, <laughs> I thought I was almost at the end. That's almost too. Um, <laughs> it's not been that painful, surely. <laughs> no, it's been pleasant. <laughs> Um, I, yeah, I guess there's been loads of figures in my life that have been amazing, inspirational teachers. Um, definitely music teachers. My violin teachers as a teenager was hugely inspirational um, and quite sort of famous in, in what she did because she was so incredible at teaching. Um, I think, and also then my violin teacher at the Royal College of Music as well was a huge inspiration. 
Um, I think also they learning how you learn these teamwork and leadership skills through the various groups that you're that you're in throughout childhood yeah. and and wherever wherever it was like you know I played lacrosse, I loved it and learned so much about teamwork through that. Um, or it's an orchestra like county youth orchestra or whatever, and you learn from all your mentors there. Um, Sports reference, of, yes. So, <laughs> some of the people, yeah. Yeah, some of the best teachers, you learn how to, how to guide people and teach people. That was really inspirational to me. I remember at Computer College, we had a module called The Art of Teaching, which I really enjoyed. How to oh, teach wow. violin to beginners. It's really kind of get yeah. your head around how to teach something which is such a highly, like, such a high, like, skill you've been practicing for many years to someone who's never held yeah. a violin before. To, li- to listen to someone do this as bad as a human can do it. And just, yes, we used yeah. to teach each other, but holding it the wrong hands. Wow. And so you, you know what it's like for oh. a five-year-old. He's oh. never. <laughs> I, think I, would be, I think I'd be the world's worst. I think if someone could teach me, they would be the best teacher in the world. Brilliant. I'm putting that out there. <laughs> can I just ask one last question? Sorry. Just as a, just as a send-off. All it, all it was, I just think a nice end off would be a nice ending would just be um, for you to maybe give kind of your kind of golden kind of tips or a bit of advice for, for bands, because there are lots of them out there. You guys are really successful um, and have done a great job. So are there just any kind of golden rules, as I said, that you would maybe pass on to anyone who may be listening and maybe in a band and wants to kind of get to your your level at some stage um yeah um i think a really important thing is to listen to each other that's an obvious one but really listening to each other just musically and um and outside off stage as well um turning up and being reliable is is 80 percent of it really (laughs) of success um um yeah, I don't know. Just if you love it, just do it. I mean, that's quite an obvious one too. But but I don't think everyone gets that though. The whole loving it part, you know, and, and really loving it, like you said. So I do think that. And and again, as you said, with the that kind of active listening, that real listening, people think they're listening, but they're actually kind of not truly. And so I think they are really good points. Yeah. You, so thank you very much. My pleasure. And any any Rogue Symphony or personal websites or links or socials? Yeah, you can follow us on Instagram at Rogue Symphony, um, which is yeah just lots of videos and photos of all our shows. Um, we have a website as well, which is roguesymphony.co.uk, um, and a Facebook. Mm, that's it. <laughs> we also have Twitter, but I don't think I post anything on there for about two years. <laughs> oh, and we have YouTube. Forgot about the YouTube. Brilliant. Oh, Brilliant. Nice. Can't forget the YouTube. Thank you so much. Lizzie, thank you so, so much. <laughs> that was that was really fun. Yeah, Fantastic. thank you for inviting me. It was our pleasure. Thanks for coming on. And there you have it, Lizzie Boyce talking about Rogue Symphony, talking about the work that they're doing in lockdown to keep the group together, talking about uh, what it means to uh, run a group when everyone's at the high, at the highest level. Uh, and like, like we said in the podcast, we've seen them live. They are incredibly fun 
live experience. Oh, 100%. And I think that's that was always going to be the interesting part for me and why I was really keen to get Lizzie on because when you do watch them live, it looks so effortless, but there's so much kind of work that has gone on, you know, um, behind the scenes. And, you know, that's, that's true for any musician, I guess, but just the, the relaxed approach that they take on stage, but the uh, in terms of um, the kind of ha- how in sync they are and the passion and the energy that's there and the vibe that they give to the crowd, you know, whilst also running an orchestra and having the rappers on stage, and yeah, yeah. the logistics and is, is a, there's so much going on. But that's the same for, that's the same for like a football team even, uh, that kind of the, the physical poetry of a game is the result of reps and reps and reps and reps and reps on these fundamentals. And I love I love talking to musicians about it because they're so experienced in this idea of practicing the basics, scales, uh, studies, etudes, just getting good at technique and then you can get away with having just this bonkers you know on stage blast at the in an in a nightclub playing Kanye on a cello which is uh you know music to my ears um <laughs> uh, always but um but no yeah I I also like the part where you were kind of kind of mentioned you know expectations and 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 what would she do if someone wasn't quite at at those expectations that they needed to be but it seems as though it's not really something that has come up a huge deal for her and I think the reason for that is like you were saying about you know you get a gig and you have to turn up and here's the address and you know if you're not there you're not going to get the gig you're not going to get paid and I think regardless of the number of people in the team, if everyone is coming with that experience, um, yeah. then the attitude and the temperament to do the job... Professional ethics, already, respect for each it's, other, it's, it's, in, it's, it's embedded. embedded. So, yes, it's difficult to have 15, 20 people in a room, um, but when they're already coming with those ethics, as you said, and that kind of professionalism um, and work, uh, work ethic... I think maybe it does become easier. And I think that's an interesting one about teams we adopt. Yes, because they've learned that separately and they have to bring it themselves. Exactly. So I think a lot of the times we talk about running a team as if, you know, we we collected all these people. Started from scratch, built it together. Everything, everyone was there for the whole time. And with an orchestra, it's not that. No, exactly. So if you are adopting... A team you know you're going to go from job to job and you're going to have different roles how do you how do you impart your culture onto that team or the work ethics you know when Back you to have a to go book of principles yeah exactly exactly so it was just good to hear um her say that you know people kind of come already prepared which is an interesting one we've not looked at so much yeah. in terms of uh yeah adopting a team and that was that. I did promise that we would uh, play out with 
an example of their work so that's going to start underneath us in a little bit and, and stick around to the end of that because it's so good um, but until next week if you want to contact us you can hit us up on socials twitter and instagram at no i podcast or if you're listening on anchor you can send us a voice message we might start including those in future podcasts uh, we love getting those in uh, email us mark or sean at uh, knowipodcast.show and tell us who do you want to hear from do you have a team that you're in that you think does things in a particularly interesting or special way or what are the topics what are the areas you want Sean and I to get into we've got a few really fun people lined up uh, next week again something that we've wanted on since the start I'm going to tease it really really loosely but it is like no episode that we've had so far so do uh, listen to next week's Um, so with uh, the sounds of Rogue Symphony kicking off underneath us now uh, I'll say uh, goodbye from Sean (laughs) goodbye guys and goodbye from me goodbye goodbye